happy to have you aboard here for the really big barbecue show. Boing. We cook because we have to, and we grill because we want to. Hit me. Fine. How's it going? You have a great show. I'm a big fan. Boing. So what, what, what seems to be the problem here? This man looks like he's dead, and he's in the, in the crackle. Charbono. It's all about the Charbono, dude. Succulent fish. What? We ate two feet wiener. But listen, Laverne, shit I'm shaking like a dog shit peach seed. <laughs> we have top men working on it right now. just like that we are into the second hour welcome aboard you found the barbecue central show we talk about barbecue related stuff here grilling stuff too why not it's all live fire we have fun together me and you you and me if you're watching live thank you if you're catching it on podcast thank you if you have no idea how to get this show on podcast go to my website and click on the subscribe button at the top that will give you all of the varying platforms and there are many how you can get this show i have been told recently that the google music platform has not been updating regularly that is specific only to that as a matter of fact, I have my Android device here right now, and I will tell you, uh, where are we here? It is called Google, uh, hmm. well, what the hell is it called? Got the Play Store, phone, aha. Uh-huh. So uh, your icon will say Play Music. It's been renamed seven different things. So if you've been using the Play Music, which is a native app right there on your Android device, and you subscribe to the show through there, ditch that immediately. It's not updating. It's missed three or four shows. It is specific only to that particular platform. If you go into your Play Store and search Google Podcasts, then that one is the one that I'm recommending from an Android standpoint. Updates, no problems. There you go. So, um, iTunes has had no problem since we've gotten back on track uh, updating. So, a uh, Stitcher works. A number of other different podcast uh, catchers. You know, that's like the the beauty and the curse of Android is you have to figure out, you know, what app might be good if there's not a native one. The beauty and the curse of iPhone is it, iPhone holds you hostage. Once you have an iPhone, it's tough to get away from, you know, the music and all the other crap, and the stuff you buy, it doesn't transfer over to any other platform. But uh, so Google podcast works, Stitcher works, podcast app, that's the name of it works, just to name a few. So if you're looking for one that I know work that I test and that I make sure the feed updates on every Wednesday that you want to take a look at, uh, follow me socially on the Instagrams or on the Twitter at BBQ Central Show, real fun and frivolity takes place there. Facebook as well. That's where you're watching this feed potentially. And if you don't know how to get to Facebook, it's facebook.com. Then to find my page slash BBQ Central Show. Uh, don't ask to, uh, don't search me out personally on Facebook. I'm not going to friend you. You're not going to friend me. I'm not going to accept your friend request. It's not that I am a, a bag and that I think I'm better than anybody. As I had said, I think a couple weeks ago, I would not have any social media if it wasn't for the show in order to promote and break news and all this other stuff. Uh, I don't use my personal Facebook page, but because uh, I evidently enjoy being held hostage quite a bit, except by my phone, Facebook rules that you have to have a personal Facebook page in order to have a fan or show page or business page or something along these lines, which is the one that I actually use. So while I do have a personal page and I do have a number of thousands of friends on my personal page, I haven't accepted a single friend request in like well over a year because if you want to interact with me, go to the show page. 
Leave me alone on my personal page already. Unfriend me on my personal page. That's what I'm asking you to do. Then go to slash BBQ Central Show on the Facebook and like that page. We can interact there. Let's do that. I encourage you to do that. Dump me personally. Friend me businessly. Not a word. Businessly. Let's do that. Uh, live show apps from John Dawson Reps. For whatever reason, your show is no longer carried live on the simple radio app. I've reverted to TuneIn. How can that be? It's great news. Thank you, John. But bad news all in the same time. I'm not very happy to hear that. Again, at BBQ Central Show on Instagram, at BBQ Central Show on Twitter, by the way. If you are a Twitter monster and you're always on it, Tuesdays at 9 o'clock, I go through Periscope on Twitter so you can actually watch the live show on Periscope. That's announced through Twitter. However you find it, I'm happy that you get it. The numbers are proving out. We're growing every week. We're growing every month. As I had mentioned to Ray Lampy, look for a bonus content drop into the feed here over the next couple days because I finally landed an interview with the Iron Chef and owner of Mabel's Barbecue Restaurant, Michael Simon. We sat down 10 o'clock a.m. at Mabel's Restaurant this morning and did a face-to-face interview. It was about 40 minutes. And I have to tell you, Aside, I tried and tried and tried my hardest not to be starstruck. And I would be lying if I said that I was just a little bit. Enough to where when I got out and I got back into my car and the adrenaline started coming down, I'm like, did I ask any good questions? I mean, I had my computer screen up. I was had enough forethought. I'm self-aware enough to realize that I was probably going to S the bed and I didn't want to go in on memory alone. He was taller than I figured he would be. Usually guys on television, very short, but he's taller than I thought. Kind of muscler. But however you see him on television is exactly how he came off in person. And he had no reason to be anything. uh, He had no reason to not be himself. Uh, I, I, I I would wonder if he has any idea who I am other than a guy who pesters him on Twitter for the last number of years. And I do want to give a special mention to my Pittsburgh brother, Doug Dirt, who, for whatever reason, this time was instrumental in putting this together finally. He was in the Pittsburgh airport. He was at Michael Simon. I think it's, is it Bar Simon or... Simon Burgers, I don't think it's a B-spot, but it's one of Michael Simon's property in the Pittsburgh International Airport, and he took a picture of it, and he tweeted at me, and he said, here's your best buddy's restaurant or something along these lines, and I just replied back. So Doug was in the reply, and Michael Simon was in the reply, and I said, I think I like him more than he likes me. And then within a 30-minute time frame, Simon writes back to me, or Twitter's uh, tweets back to us, I like you, buddy, talking to me. And then I said, Okay, well, then let's do a segment. And then an hour after that, I'll be at Mabel's on Wednesday on the 6th. Let's pick a time and we'll do it. Well, lo and behold, two days later, here we are. Face-to-face, dropping dimes, baby. Yeah. We had a very good interview. I tried to keep it fun. I tried to ask some decent questions. Uh, Questions that I did not ask him. Did Mario Batali... Torpedo the Chew. I didn't ask that. Not the first time I didn't ask that. Also, I had locked and loaded an F. Mary Kill with Food Network. Didn't answer that. The good news. I unknowingly helped him take a shot. My opinion, by the way, I'm sure he would have a different opinion. Take a shot at Guy Fieri being into the Barbecue Hall of Fame. (laughs) Yes. So that happened towards the end. Then we had a a lightning round at the end where I said, you know, lump versus uh, lump or briquette or sear, 
regular sear or reverse it, you know, things like this, fun stuff. You'll be surprised on his chicken answer. I guarantee that. So I think probably Thursday, maybe Friday, going to a Cavs game tomorrow. They're going to get pummeled. Oklahoma City's in town. But this is when you know the Cavs have gone really bad. I'm a half-season's ticket holder. I have half of the home games we bought. Uh, 2020 hindsight, not a great idea. Okay? All right. But we like basketball. We watch all the Cavs games anyway, LeBron or no LeBron. You know it's going bad for the Cavs when your sales guy reaches back out to you and and comps you a pair of club level seats. These seats uh, got to be, you know, a few hundred bucks, if not uh, three or four hundred bucks a piece. Normally, those club level seats for the Lakers game next month are selling for fifteen hundred bucks a pop. But against Oklahoma City, Thunder, Cavs at home, those are for free. Just take those, Mr. Reppy. Enjoy. Enjoy. Club level seed. And I say I will. So I, I do have to do a little editing to the Michael Simon thing. Uh, more on my end or not. But uh, great guy. It was great. I think, you'll, I think you'll really enjoy it. And finally got the white whale, as they say. Speaking of guys that I respect, it's Sterling Ball and Big Papa Smokers. That's right, the one-stop online shop for all things barbecue. Their curated selection of only the best outdoor cooking and grilling supplies get you on the path to better barbecue results in no time. Everything at Big Papa Smokers has been pitmaster approved by Sterling Big Papa Ball himself, from the award-winning rubs and sauces to the American-made grills and smokers. Big Papa Smokers has everything you need to be a better outdoor cook, like the championship rubs and seasonings, popular flavors like Sweet Money, one of my favorites, Cattle Prod, Cash Cow, Little Louie's, Happy Ending, all proven winners, not only on the competition circuit, but in the backyard. Big Papa's offers 13 perfectly balanced flavors that will transform ordinary meals into extraordinary whether you're cooking to impress the judges or grilling for family and friends, Big Papa Smokers award-winning rubs and seasonings just don't disappoint. Pick up a bottle today. Now, if you're looking to improve the competition barbecue recipe, Big Papa's has combined with fellow rub company Simply Marvelous Barbecue to form that West Coast offense. Come on, you know all about it. Check them out today. They also own Granny's Barbecue Sauce, so if you're looking for a great New go-to sauce. Granny's is the one you want to try. And aside from the premium selection of both of those things, rubs and sauces, they also offer the very best pellet charcoal and wood cookers available on the market today. If you're looking for a versatile smoker that's easy to use, check out the Mac 2 Star General Pellet Grill. Big Papa Smokers, the exclusive Mac dealer, and even offers special packages. If you're not a fan of pellet smokers, take a look at the Old Hickory ACBP. Not only is it a great competition cooker, it's the only charcoal cooker that Big Papa trusts on his competition trailer. Now, if you're backyard cook like me and you're looking for a durable and versatile grill that will last forever, the M-Grill from Texas is just what you need. They're built like tanks. It's clear that Big Papa Smokers is the place to go for all things barbecue. Everything featured on their website has been hand-selected to help you barbecue better. Boost your skills with the help of Big Papa Smokers, the number one online barbecue store. Have any questions? Give them a call, 877-828-828. 0727. That's 877 828 0727. Or shop the website bigpapasmokers.com. That's B I G P O P P A smokers.com. Pat LaFrieda out of the break. Stick around. Be right back. The only show giving you a monthly visit from a doctor of barbecue. A man actually named Meathead. The author of a barbecue Bible. Bloggers, reviewers, competitors, and manufacturers by the dozens. It's the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rempe. All right, welcome back to this portion of the show being brought to you by Smithfield, as I had said, re-up for 2019, so we're very excited about that. If you missed out on that October 31st deadline for the grant application, what are you thinking? Come on. You blew it. However, we still have the Committed Cooks program. Smokinwithsmithfield.com. That's smokinwithsmithfield.com. All you have to do is head on over there. It's open to the first 500 folks. 
believe it's a $25 shipping charge. You get well over uh, $200 worth of gear from Smithfield. So certainly worth the small investment there to cover the shipping. Again, that's smokingwithsmithfield.com, smokingwithsmithfield.com. All right. Joining me now, my guests in the second are widely considered to be America's Butcher. Last time, ran into a little snag on the telephone, so wanted to get him back on so we could take a bit more about meat topics. So we race to the Traeger Grills hotline and welcome back the CEO of LaFrida Meat Purveyors, Pat LaFrida. Pat, how are you, buddy? Yo, Greg. We did it this time, Pat. Victory! We're here. I was actually an hour early. I thought it was 9.15. <laughs> well, better early than late, I guess, right? Uh, 100%. All right. Happy to be back with you, pal. Success, success. Uh, I think our success rate better than the, the Jets, certainly better than the Browns here in Cleveland. So, I mean, you're a big, uh, you're a big Jets <laughs> fan, right? Uh, yes. Uh, being a New-, a New Yorker, we always had the option in baseball for the Mets or the Yankees. For football, the Giants and the Jets, who's ever winning, we, we root for. So are you, uh, from a baseball standpoint, um, now, you know, little known fact, Pat, I was born and raised upstate New York, Saratoga Springs to be exact, and uh, when, oh, nice. we were, uh, when we were born, uh, my dad's parents, huge Yankees fans, so we were first baptized Yankees fans, then baptized Catholic, of course, as it goes with all great Yankee uh, families. Um, are you a Yankees fan or a Mets fan? Grew up a Yankees fan and then became a Mets fan. Uh, so I'm a fan of both. I really am a fan of baseball. Um, but what the Mets did at City Field is very impressive when it comes to food. So to be able to get, I think it's the first ballpark to get food the way it should it should be gotten. When you Expect, when you spend that much money and time and effort to get to a game, um, even especially with your family, the idea that you can get fresh sushi or a high-end steak in a steakhouse at the ballpark instead of a dirty water dog or a pret- or, you know a stale pretzel is something that the, that the Mets or and or City Field really understood and got. So n- now I see. Even in a bad season, you'll have millennials go there just for the food scene. It's it's really amazing. Like, can you point your finger to where you thought that transition took place? Because I did see that similarly here at Progressive Field, where I mean, and I grew up watching the Indians when we moved out of New York here in you know like seventh grade or whatever in the old Cleveland Stadium. That thing was a hole and. Who knows what the hell was leaking on top of you sitting underneath the overhang. <laughs> yeah. But it was exactly what you said, the dirty water dog. Of course, here in Cleveland, it was Burtman's Ballpark Mustard, which is that gray mustard that a lot of people that aren't from here don't really realize or understand why we eat it. But I have seen through stadium renovations that, you know, let's bring in uh, the craft beer scene. Let's bring in a, a higher-end food scene. Do you or can you put a finger on when you saw that change take place? I first saw it when City Field was built. So that's, what, eight years now, mm-hmm. I believe? Um, I could be wrong on how, how long ago that was, but that's where I first saw it. So the Wilpon family that, that, that owned a majority stake in the Mets are also foodies. And uh, I re- remember my first meetings with them about supplying the, the ballpark with meat. Um, and they had a passion for food in a large format uh, arena where normally there's no stress put on the food. It's usually overpriced, terrible food. Yep. And the idea, that, so that's where I first saw it, and I, I see it starting to spread. Um, I, I, I do. I think the NFL is another 10 years behind, but when it comes to um, Major League Baseball, it, it, it certainly has changed. Pat LaFrieda joining me here on the show. So, Pat, before we get into some of the meat talk, I want to, first off, thank you for the box of burgers, sausages, and steaks. Very gracious of you. Certainly appreciated by everybody here in the Rempe compound. And that kind of leads me into that first question. That has to do with shipping. When you go to your website or or when you go to some of those higher-end meat purveyor websites, some of them are shipping you stuff that is, you know, rock solid frozen and you know they want you to thaw it out here for a couple of days when i got your shipment and and uh please correct me if i'm ignorant here but 
uh, am I close enough to where you ship me the meat because I'm in Cleveland, you know, and from, you know, New Jersey, New York City, I'm not that far away so it can come refrigerated or whether I'm getting it in Cleveland or whether you're shipping all the way out to the West Coast, uh, I'm going to get it the same way no matter what. You're going to get it the same way no matter what. <laughs> we only send and ship meat fresh overnight. So next day delivery um, in gel packs and we cut the meat fresh when it's ordered. We, we, we don't ever send or sell anything that's frozen. So it's not a terrible thing to freeze meat. We need to preserve it somehow. Sure. The general public does, I should say. But it definitely loses its essence, and it loses a lot of, uh, of, of flavor when you in that defrost mode. So uh, when you buy meat and it comes to you shipped and it's rock-solid frozen, like you said, that's usually at minus 10 degrees with dry ice on it. And that meat and that business model works for uh, certain online meat sales, but it doesn't work for for the LaFrida family. So we, we, we would never sell that product. And that product is purchased and processed, meaning it, it's portioned and, and vacuum packaged and put back into the freezer all throughout the year when the markets are the lowest so that they have a stagnant price and they could they could really price fix in on on an item, uh, but for us, we would rather buy meat at market value from small farms around around the country, cut it fresh, and ship it out fresh. And th- that's just the old. I don't know of any other online service that does that, but um, it, it's something that we pride ourselves on. And it was certainly great. I think, you know, there's an excitement when you buy it and then it shows up frozen and you realize, oh, shit, I'm going to have to actually defrost this. So it might be a day or two, or if it's a brisket, it it might be the better part of three or four days, depending on how big it is. Right. When I opened your box, I was like, oh, holy shit, these things are ready to go. I can cut the vacuum pack right off of it, season it. I can have it for, and I did have it for dinner later that evening. So from a, a victory that's, standpoint. That's the whole point. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great uh, that's a great model. Yeah, and and you, I mean, you're getting meat that butchers a few hours prior portioned and 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 actually cut, um, made the chopped beef, formed it into burgers, vacuum packed packed it, you know, put it into an insulated cooler with gel packs and sent it out fresh. I mean, it's just as if you went to the corner butcher and 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 bought something fresh from from the corner butcher and that model is something that um we that, that's why i work at night so I, i'm usually done at 6 a.m in the morning our production happens all night long because we cut meat for restaurants every night as they order it so our last orders will come in from restaurants at around 2 or 3 a.m we're cutting meat and delivering it to those restaurants sometimes by 7 or 8 a.m. the next morning. So just a few hours later. And we, when we offered and began to offer our meat online, we just used the same model um, and made um, some good partners with UPS and FedEx to be able to overnight uh, these products. Pat LaFrida joining me here on the show. The website, LaFrida.com. That's L-A-F-R-I-E-D-A, LaFrida.com, if you want to check it out here while we're talking. Uh, Pat, let's take a look at your sales and what the most popular cuts or cut of meat that you're currently selling. And does it differ between what the restaurants are ordering from you and what the consumers are ordering from you? I would say it's very close. The 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 the, um, the consumers and the and the restaurants are, are really ordering the same cuts. So, and that's what's great about the American beef industry is that it, it, it's the most efficient uh, and greatest example of of capitalism that I could ever ever imagine. Whereas in my father's generation or my grandfather's generation, if they wanted to sell two strip steaks. They needed to sell two ribeyes and two uh, chucks and two inside rounds. We don't that the industry is not run that way anymore. I'm able to buy the parts that I need, and depending on the, the demand around the country and internationally for those different parts, 
that will determine the price structure of of what each cut costs, and that's how the market changes. So, uh, unfortunately, for barbecuers and brisket, our chopped beef blend, which has a lot of brisket in it, uh, has really increased the price, as you've seen over the last 10 years. Uh, Brisket was traditionally very inexpensive, um, and because of the amount that we use, uh, I think we're the largest, largest brisket user in the country, um, just because of that, it's changed the whole landscape of the pricing structure of beef. So are the most popular cuts the ribeyes or the rib steak type stuff? Yes. To get back to your, sorry, to get back to your question, the uh, most popular steaks that, that restaurants will buy, and they'll buy these cuts because their consumers are comfortable ordering these cuts. Mm-hmm. So, so you have to imagine chefs are putting out uh, cuts of beef or any type of meat that their consumers are going to order um, are basically the middle meats. So the ribeyes, the New York strips, um, if, if it's a bone-in ribeye and it's the really long bone would be the tomahawk. If it's a shorter bone and it's French, it's a, it's a cowboy steak. Um, for New York strips, I prefer it bone-in, um, and that's most commonly ordered um, bone-in or boneless for the, for the New York strips. Um, and then you have your economy cuts, which I see more and more restaurants ordering and consumers ordering. So I think the most common of those would be the butcher steak, which is a, a hanger steak, um, and flat irons. It's a, a great steak that tastes more like a New York strip than any other cut in the animal. And um, in a blind taste test, it's nearly impossible to tell the difference between the two. But in your wallet, it's about one quarter of the price of a New York strip. Would you say that those two that you'd mentioned are probably the best economical cuts that most consumers don't know about, or those are the ones that people know about, and that's why they're ordering them? And if that's the case, what yeah, are... Those two are, are, are growing. Those two uh, are, can continue to grow, and I think I, I see the awareness of, of what they are, whereas I used to get a lot of questions as to what is a hanger steak or what is a flat iron. Now I, I see there's more awareness of those two, those two cuts. And I think consumers are more readily um, able to, to order that at a restaurant and feel comfortable about what they're getting. They know what they're getting with a hanger steak. It's not as tender, but it's got a lot of flavor with a flat iron. It doesn't look like a New York strip, but it tastes like one and it's less money. And, um, so an economy cut, which is my favorite cut of beef is an outside skirt steak. That's the old Romanian steak that, that diners used to call it. Uh, but it's so delicious and doesn't taste like any other cut in the animal. Um, and it's got to be the outside skirt. So if you're a butcher and you ask for skirt, that's being a little vague, and you might get some of the inside skirt, which is a completely different muscle. And and, and the hard part is that they look similar. So when you ask your butcher for skirt, ask for outside skirt. And it's got an irony flavor. So it's just a real great, unique flavor to it. Um that was an economy cut, but that got so popular that diners don't serve it anymore as Romanian steak. <laughs> you know, I, as a kid, I remember seeing it on, on diner menus. You don't see it on diner menus anymore. And if you do, they're not giving you outside skirt steak anymore. It's just too expensive. So since you are in and around beef all day, every day, what's like the best economical cut that maybe we don't know about that you think could be on the come? I think that where the ribeye ends, so now we're going towards the front of the animal. Mm-hmm. In, in, in the actual chuck, there are two steaks that you can take. So they're two of the very end ribeye steaks. So they're normally called chuck eye 
chuck eye steaks. Yeah. So just because the ribeye is cut there by the industry doesn't mean that those muscle groups, especially the spinalis muscle, which is the ribeye cap, it's more abundant in the chuck than it is on the ribeye. So those two steaks are, are phenomenal, and at the price of, of what a chuck costs, it's also about one-quarter the price of what a ribeye is. Um, but it also depends on, on the, type of, the time of year and the type of cooking process. So right now we're going into the colder months. So what I love are chuck flap tails, which is essentially an extension of the, rib, of the uh, short rib muscle. So if I'm going to braise something or if I'm going to put something in my Sunday sauce uh, or just in a crock pot and I'm going to slow cook it, it's going to be chuck flap tail. And, um, again, it's, it's short rib and slow cook. It is fall off the fork tender. I mean, it, it's amazing. So a lot has to do with the cooking method as, as well, where with a flat iron, that's something you need to grill. So if you live in a part of the country where you have to shut your grill down for the winter because it's just too cold outside, uh, you're not going to be grilling. You have to start to look at the braising meats. And there's a big misconception when when you buy beef stew, let's say, the beef stew has got to come from parts of of the animal that have a lot of sinew, that have a lot of intramuscular fat. Mm So that, that, that collagen breaks down. So those are the tougher cuts, but you want them to break down. If you were to use an inside ground, which is what one would use to make roast beef, and you cut it into beautiful beef cubes, and you cook it over a long period of time, you're now drying out and making the most awful beef stew you could mm, ever imagine. Really? And I think we've all had that experience before where... where some some sort of beef stew dish, um, like a beef bourguignon, is is not juicy. It's it's a little dry and tough, and and that's because it's it's coming from a part that should have been roasted rare instead of slow cooked for a few hours. Pat Lafrida joining me here on the show. Pat, let me ask you uh, one quick question before we uh, jump to a quick break and then talk about dry aging for the next segment. The tomahawk steak, by the way, you sent me two, and, and the first one that I had was absolutely delicious. But uh, to be a complete shithead, let me talk to you about this tomahawk steak. <laughs> is So it's a rib. It's a ribeye, right? I mean, it looks like a ribeye. It feels like a ribeye. The bone's in there, uh, you know, all along Walk that like one side, just like it should be. Except here's this whole bone that sticks out. I can't eat that bone. It weighs something. It screams presentation-wise. This is cool. But then the frugal gourmet in me screams, what the hell is that for? I don't need that. That's absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. And so then the word yeah. gimmick comes up to me. So where do you fall out on why tomahawks are so popular right now? And, I mean, in essence, are you paying a little bit more for stuff that you aren't eating? Um, you're not paying more, per, I would say, for a tomahawk. But you said it. You said the word presentation. Sure. And in, in a world where, where we're taking photos of every dish that comes out in every restaurant, when you sit in a restaurant that serves tomahawk steaks and a plated cooked tomahawk goes by, you can just watch everyone's eyes follow that plate. So that presentation, something that I would say, if you asked me that question 10 years ago, I would say, yeah, that's that's gimmicky. <laughs> but now that play that play presentation is 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 unique and necessary. So um, there's no waste of meat, but there is a better way to eat a tomahawk. Whereas, like as in the ones I sent you, the bone is clean. Yes. If if you left the if we would have left the spare rib meat on, now. When you're done eating the ribeye portion, you can grab that bone and gnaw on that bone for a bit, and it's delicious. Mm. Who doesn't like beef back ribs? So that's what that's what we cut out of that. Um, so if, if if there was those don't go to waste, by the way, we call those beef fingers, and we sell those to. Uh, you can braise those; those are delicious. Uh, again, it's it's beef spare meat. So 
nothing goes to waste. But for that plate presentation and for that restaurant that, you know, they want people to Instagram their, their, their dishes as they come out, it's a little easier to do with a tomahawk than it is to do with a boneless ribeye. No doubt about it. Pat LaFrieda joining me here on the show. Pat, can I hold you over for uh, one more segment? We'll talk about dry aging. Absolutely, Greg. All right, stand by. Uh, we're talking with Pat LaFrieda from LaFrieda Meats, LaFrieda.com, his website. Follow Pat on Instagram, by the way. Yeah, absolutely prolific on there, at Pat LaFrieda. And I will talk to you quickly about Cook Shack, manufacturers of smoker ovens for barbecue lovers with any amount of experience, whether you barbecue in the backyard, on the competition circuit, or in a five-star dining facility, Cook Shack has the unit that will do the job. And with a full line of barbecue sauces, spices, pellets, and wood chunks, it's the perfect one-stop shop. Cook Shack strives to be a barbecue resource center by offering cooking classes, online recipes, how-to videos, two blogs, smoke and grilling 101s, and a video cooking classroom. You can check out their website at cookshack.com, or you can follow them on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Pinterest, and Google+. You can also get advice and share your passion for barbecue on their world-class barbecue forum. Still have one of those. Cookshack pellet-fired smokers are the choice of champions because they were designed by a champion, Ed Fast Eddie Morin. The FEC 100, PG 1000, always customer favorites. The PG 1000 can actually double as a smoker and a grill. Low and slow, hot and fast. Pellet grill line gives you the most for your money. Now, maybe you're not into the pellet scene. I get it. Cook Shack Residential Electric Smokers happen to be the number one smoker in the industry in that segment. High quality means high durability and versatility. Anything you can cook in your oven, you can make in a Cook Shack. Passion and dedication drives Cook Shack's manufacturing with quality always being at the forefront. Get the best in barbecue since 1962. Call 800-423-0698 or visit the website cookshack.com. That's cookshack.com. All right, we are back with more Meat Talk with Pat LaFrieda. Stick around. We'll be right back. Continuing to produce incredibly mediocre content in an exceptionally professional way. You're listening and watching the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rampey. All right, welcome back. This portion of the show being brought to you by Fireboard. Monitor up to six different temperatures simultaneously. Connect to Wi-Fi for cloud-based monitoring or connect via Bluetooth. And if you have Alexa or the Google Assistant in your home, you're lucky because Fireboard fully integrated with both and constantly learning new skills. Find out more with Fireboard.com or call 816-945-2232. All right, Pat LaFrieda joins me here on the show, and we're going to get into a little bit of dry aging talk here. Pat, at the beginning of the year, actually I think it was the end of 2017, I like to do a little prognostication of what might be popular in the upcoming year. And uh, dry aging was kind of teetering on are we going to make that jump and, and talk about it, or are we not? We kind of hedge bets a little bit, but lo and behold, 2018 rolled in uh, right around that March time frame. Dry aging was firmly in place. I uh, was seeing it more and more. I mean, you were probably seeing it a lot sooner than I was, but from a consumer standpoint, I was seeing it a lot more on uh, restaurant menus across the board, whether it was kind of a, a mid-level all the way up to those prime steakhouses. Is the increase in popularity that I'm seeing, Pat, from a purely taste standpoint, are people or, or the consumers just that much more educated and appreciative of that kind of a flavor profile at this point? I think it took a while for uh, consumers to understand and be able to uh, detect the flavors that the dry aging process offers the beef. I mean, there's, there's no doubt about it. It, it becomes an addiction and, and, and some, some consumers can't get enough dry age where they want me to dry age products over 120 days, which to me, that's the point of, of um, diminishing returns. I think anywhere from 30 to 120 days is amazing. But at 120 days, I actually took a ribeye, trimmed all the exterior, and with April Bloomfield, actually, when, at, at, at a dinner event that she was supposed to grill the ribeye steaks, 
someone had asked me to cut a piece of carpaccio, so thinly sliced raw beef from that 120-day age ribeye. Mm. And before I knew it, there was a line of people waiting for me to cut them a slice. <laughs> and I got into a lot of trouble that night because there was nothing left to grill. It was delicious. So in its purest form, the flavor is amazing. But is it an acquired taste? Yes. So um, we, I did see the growth in, in the demand for dry aging. Uh, we're actually building a second facility to run in concert with this, this facility. And we, our dry aging room will be four times the size. So we're talking about about $6 million worth of beef in the dry aging room at any given time just getting age on it and getting that that flavor that comes from taking the moisture out and really the controlled decomposition of the collagen by oxygen and by controlling the humidity and having that circulation of, of wind go by the protein and whisk off the, the um, moisture that comes to, to, to the surface. I think on your website you do a, a really good job when you get into that dry-aged portion of if a consumer is going to be trying that out to say, hey, here's a, a very high-level idea of what dry-aging is all about and some really good things that happen with it. Oh, by the way, if you're not used to it, uh, there's uh, what I call the, the, the funk factor of dry-aging. So, if I'm mistaken, yeah, my please. Dad, my dad won't eat it. At my all? My dad doesn't like it. He, no, he'll eat it, but he'll, he'd prefer a fresh steak over, over dry-aged. We're on the opposite. I prefer a dry-aged steak over fresh. So, um, so 30 days so is going to get you like a, a tenderness, uh, but not really a, a huge taste bump. But it's like the, the after 30 days is where the, the flavor or the the... the that taste nuance is going to start to develop. Yes, in, in the right environment, in, in the right environment, at thirty days, you you will start to get some of that that um, almost cooked buttery popcorn flavor from the dry aging process. You that will start to develop at, at twenty seven and twenty eight days aged. So at thirty days, yes, you you will start to get that, and I think that the gamut normally goes from 28 days in popularity to 60 days for, for restaurants. Um, the fun factor is definitely evident at 60 days and beyond, where if, you, if you're not really accustomed to that, that funk, you're going to have a, a negative feeling about the steak. So from a... Um I guess this is like caveat emptor, uh, but when you so when you go online and, and you start seeing more and more, you get dry aged beef here, get dry aged beef there, and you go in and you buy a seventy yeah. day or a ninety day. I mean, who knows? How can you tell once it shows up in your house that you're getting what you paid for? I mean, is there a stamp that that is required that says, "Hey, this is thirty days or ninety days," or do you just have to put trust in the vendor that? They're doing their part. If you're doing your part, you have to put trust in the in, in your butcher. Um, there's, it's not regulated, so it's that something that the USDA does not regulate on 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 the claims. Um, and it, you know, you bringing that subject up is the first time I've actually even thought of that that uh, that aspect of because everything that we package and all the claims that are made are scrutinized by the USDA, USDA and, and, and that protects our industry. It's really a very positive thing. Dry aging and it's, it's dating, how we work it is when we put the meat into the dry aged room every day and fill the slots of what was used the night before, we, stamp, we, we attach a stamp to that meat, and that would have the gross weight, so the weight at which it went into the room, mm -hmm. and the date that it went in. So we, there's, no, there's no positive part about lying about the, that date um, be, because the consumer is going to taste, if it was supposed to be 70 days, and it doesn't taste like it's dry aged, then 
yeah, you know, you're going to lose. You're not going to be in business for long. So um, it's something that the butcher tracks. And I don't always just, I'm not always just concerned about the date. I'm concerned I, I, within, within about 10 or 15 days from what is being requested, there's another factor. And some meat just happens to age faster than others. So I can see what doesn't recede is the fat and the bone. So when you see that the, that the protein itself is, has now shrunken a little bit, and that first cut on the bandsaw, the trim, will give you a donut, meaning there's no protein there. It's just a circle with fat on one side of the circle and bone on the other. Then you know that the dry aging process is, is, is successful and potentially has met the demand of what's being requested, if that makes sense. <laughs> so, um, yeah, be, I think where I see inconsistencies with aged meat is when the word dry isn't in front of aged. When you just see aged beef, yeah. that only means that it's potentially old. You know, <laughs> wet aged beef is, you know, maybe that sat in a warehouse too long. Um, I, I, the whole aging process, as I mentioned earlier, a lot has to do with the oxygen breaking down the collagen. When you're in a vacuum state and you're wet aging, quote unquote, that oxygen is not present. So what you want to happen in, in that, in the breaking down of the collagen and, 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 and in the protein, it's not really happening in wet aged. So, when I see something that says aged, I, I, I know that it's probably not dry aged. So aged 70 days or dry aged 70 days have two very different meanings. And beef can last from the time it's first harvested and broken down into its primals and vacuumed. It can last for 90 days <laughs> in the fresh state. Um, but that doesn't mean it's any more tender or have any more flavor than the first day it was put into that vacuum. Uh, Pat, do you see or, or do you know what percentage of your steak sales is specifically related to dry age versus uh, just a fresh steak? 75% of all of our steaks from the middle meat cuts, so that's the ribeyes and the strips, porterhouses, tomahawks, all of those middle meats, seventy-five percent of those are dry aged. Really? Yep. Wow. And it's the reason that we have to build a new facility. Yeah. Uh, one of the main reasons is because of the dry age room. We're out of space, and we, um, like I said, our new facility will have a dry age room four times the size of what we currently have, and we're not closing facility A to move into facility B, we're going to run them in concert. So we have um, a backup facility and we'll use facility A as more of a cross dock. But, you know, lightning hits or something happens to one facility, we're still able to have a second facility to uh, produce product from and supply our restaurants. Yeah, wow, 75% was certainly uh, uh, not a percentage. That, I, that's, that's, that seems incredible to me, which is... I guess where things are trending uh, right now. Yeah, and I would have told you, you know, ten years ago would have been about ten percent. No, but that's that's where that's where the um, the beef lovers have gone. A dry aged beef. If you don't have dry aged beef to offer as a meat purveyor, uh, you're kind of out of business in in at least New York City um, when it comes to restaurants. Because again, kind of like like the investment of getting to a baseball game. Getting into New York City uh, to find parking, to pay tolls, to, you know, the, the whole expense of it, to go to a restaurant and order a steak for it not to be one of the best steaks you've ever eaten is certainly not going to want to make you go back uh, just for a meal, right? So restaurant chefs are, in New York City especially are always trying to have uh, and provide that that experience, that that. You know, you can't get anywhere else, and 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 for beef, that answer has been in dry aging. Pat, let's quickly talk about you know 
what is popular in restaurants inevitably trickles down into the individual or the consumer. We've seen it happen with barbecue. We've seen it happen with beer. A lot of people doing it at home. Inevitably, you know, there is now a movement of people trying to dry age beef at home. Initially, we saw it in like those uh, dry aging bags, which I think have kind of been debunked as a little bit of a gimmick. Um, but now we're seeing, you know, uh, Kingsford has uh, the steak ager in varying forms and fashions. I've had Jess Priles on the show who uh, runs Hardcore Carnivore and uh, has uh, did a, a, like a 3,000 uh, re- word research paper on dry aging earlier this year and said, hey, if you're going to do it, you know, get a, 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 a its own unit. Don't put it in a college dorm thing or don't, heaven forbid, don't put it in your own refrigerator at home. Uh, but these are the steps that you would want to take if you want to do it at home. What are your thoughts? I mean, obviously, you're a guy in business doing the dry aging thing because it's your livelihood. But if there's any way to separate that, what are your thoughts on doing it at home? Well, to do it at home, you would you can dry age individual steaks. So let's just put that out there. You need to use primals, yep. right? So you need to have large pieces. So it, it's a it's a fairly fairly large investment, but it's all about the environment in that the steak is held in. So yes, the steak ager. Uh, I've 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 tried I tried the prototype and it it didn't work because it was just like you were putting it in your fridge. It wasn't it, the air wasn't sealed, so you really couldn't control the humidity. So. Like you, like um, a keg, like a a refrigerator for a keg. I I remember those from college. Yep. Putting a keg into <laughs> its own fridge, and then you had to tap outside. Uh, you could do that for steak, but you also need some kind of dehumidifier. Now, refrigeration on its own is a dehumidifier. Uh, that's why there's always a drip tray or some kind of irrigation to when those coils have to cool down for the moisture to come off those coils, where does the moisture come from? It's coming from the air inside the fridge. So, but it's not enough. So if you, you need to add some way to make that air less humid. And when you look in, let's say a Home Depot or Lowe's at, at dehumidifiers, you have to read those instructions. Those are meant for about 45 degrees or higher because anything colder than that, it will not condense the, the moisture in the air. So you need to use a desiccant system, which will work and take the air out of the refrigerator and recirculate it back in without the moisture. So it's a, it's a little complicated. It's not that it can't be done. It's like made, it's like, all my friends that make prosciuttos in their basement. I mean, it's possible, but I would say 50% of them spoil. So if it's something that you're in love with doing um, and, and you're a foodie, yes, you can do it in, 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 a, in a refrigerator at home, but it has to be a dedicated space in the fridge. It's got to be sealed off from everything else, um, if not a refrigerator just for that. But in addition to the refrigerator being a natural dehumidifier, you also need to remove more moisture. And what you're looking for is 70 70 to 80% humidity. It sounds like a lot, but it's not. At 70 to 80%, you will get the moisture out of the meat, and the meat will not rot as long as you have wind circulation and that temperature stays between 35 and 38 degrees in that range. If you can meet those standards, then yes, you could dry age at home, but just think how difficult that is. And it's think, difficult. And think how easy um, it is to go to... Every time you open the fridge to check on it, you, you're, you're adding <laughs> 99% of the humidity. And it's a lot so easier to go it, to com and buy a dry aged steak, right? <laughs> Or or your local butcher is dry aging. Yes, it it, it is easier. You you don't need to buy an entire primal that weighs 20-some-odd pounds because it's also very difficult to dry age at home because we have bandsaws. So the bandsaws are able to 
to cut through the bone down. All just remember that all the exterior of a dry aged steak has to be trimmed off and thrown away and discarded. So, without a bandsaw with just a knife, it is possible, but you'd have to cut the bone off, hmm. and you'd, you'd waste a lot more meat. So, with a bandsaw, we're able to to cut through the bone and and just get off what we call facing. So it's just a very dark black surface of the dry aged beef that we trim off and discard because potentially if there's a pathogen, it's going to be on that outside. But done in the right circumstances, in the right environment that I keep going back to, pathogens actually die in that environment of that humidity and that temperature with that wind circulation, we have seen the pathogen growth decrease over time. So um, it, it can be completely safe. You just have to follow those steps and, 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 and adhere to those, call them the dry aging laws. Uh, if you don't, then you're going to eat spoiled meat. And um, meat should taste like it smells. So when you take a dry aged steak and, and, you, and you really hold it up and, 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 and inhale, that, that delicious, when done right, that delicious dry aged flavor is something that you can smell. Um, often people ask me, how do I know if my meat's good or not? Is it still good? I, I've had it in my fridge for two weeks. <laughs> if it's not Kelly Green, uh, <laughs> uh, the best way to tell is to smell it because the scent that it, that it emits will, will tell you if it's rotten or not. And uh, we've all been there also and, 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 and have seen or smelled rotten meat. Um, there's no coming back from that. Forget, uh, I mean, there are horror stories about people washing it down with lemons. I, it, that, <laughs> that if it's rotten, it's rotten. If you don't dry age correctly, it's rotten. And uh, that, that's the only risk is, sickness to yourself if you're not doing it correctly. Pat, where is or who cooked the best steak you've ever had? Oh, boy, is that a tough one? Um, you know, it all depends on the steak. I, like, I, I think Riyad Nasser at, at Mineta Tavern has cooked some of the best steaks I've ever had. He's no longer there. Now he, he opened up his own restaurant, Frenchette. Josh Capon at Bowery Meat Company and his chef, Lucas, they've made some of the best steaks I've ever, ever had in the Spinalis, uh, the ribeye cap. Uh, Porterhouse, New York, I mean, the char there is just phenomenal. You know, there's, I, I can't say, that I, I, I honestly can't say I have a single favorite I've just had so many great steaks in my life. Raul's, their steak off Poivre downtown is absolutely to die for. I've been eating there since I'm 16 years old. Le Ravage on West 46, Paul Denamiel, he makes an amazing steak off Poivre um, as well. I mean, there, there's just so many great chefs in New York City and so many great places to eat meat. Uh, Marea, which is a, is a seafood restaurant, Michael White's amazing seafood restaurant on Central Park South. One of my best steaks I've ever eaten in my, in my life was a born in New York strip there. So um, it, it really has to do for me with um, the steak that I'm eating, the preparation of it, and and obviously it's 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 flavor and tenderness, right? So. Um, I, I, because I love meat so much, my steaks need to be seared and I need to have some type of temperature control on the inside from medium rare to, to rare, somewhere in that range. Because a well-cooked steak or a well-done steak loses a lot of its essence. And, and the general public needs to know one thing. If they order meat, well done. The chef is using the worst cut of meat they have <laughs> for that person because they think they don't know what they're eating anyway. So, 
that's where you get the end stakes and, and, and stakes that should be economy cuts, but you're going to pay a premium for them uh, if you order them well done at the restaurant. Pat, so, you want to... Um, yes. I was just going to say, you want to play a lightning round real quick? Go ahead. There we go. Lightning round with Pat LaFrieda. I'm going to give you a, uh, a choice or a yes or no kind of a thing, and just right off the top of the head, you give me an answer. Here we go. Bobby Flay or Alton Brown? Bobby. Lump or briquette? Briquette. Reverse sear or normal sear? Reverse. Yes or no? Searing seals in the juices. No. Let it rest or let's eat? Let it rest. Pellet or offset? Um, pellet. Spatchcock or beer can chicken? Beer can. Sweet or savory? Both. (laughs) Open pit or sweet baby (laughs) rays? Open pit. Really? Come on, Pat. What are you talking about? Yeah. Uh, Sazerac or old-fashioned? Old-fashioned. Booker's or Blanton's? Not sure what you're referring to. (laughs) Half or no. Uh, 25-year-old Pappy, life-changing or bank-changing? Oh, I wouldn't say. I would say neither. Neither, really? Yeah. Yikes. Uh, I mean, that's that's like a hugely expensive bottle, right? Yeah. I don't think it's going to break the bank, but it's not going to change my life either. <laughs> All right. Uh, hey, you can find Pat LaFrieda online at LaFridaMeets.com. And he has been an incredible guest here, especially this evening, giving us all the time talking about steaks and his business and dry aging especially. Pat, really appreciate the time tonight. Thanks so much for doing it. Thanks for having me, pal. Really appreciate being on the show. You got it. There he is, Pat LaFrieda. Pat said beer can chicken. Pat, no! Open This is Chris Payne from Euclid, Ohio. All right, Chris Payne, you get your ID in. Now we will go ahead and do a quick read here, wrap up the show. We always believe that outdoor cooking should be easy and fun because it can be, especially with the Monolith Barbecue Guru Edition Grill. The Monolith is the world's first temperature-controlled smoker with a built-in power draft fan. This means smarter control, greater freedom with automatic temperature control. Easily choose your cooking time and temperature. Let the Monolith do the work of a sous chef or barbecue pitmaster. With minimal effort, you now have oven-like precision at the grill and can serve the tastiest, juiciest meals each and every time. Here's how you do it. You go to the website, bbqguru.com. And check out what they have to offer. You can also call them with any questions, 800-288-GURU. That's 800-288-GURU. The Barbecue Guru continues to be a breakthrough in barbecue technology. We're back to wrap the show right after this. Stick around. We'll be right back. Whole packers, full racks, legs and thighs. Injecting butts. If you've never heard this before, you might think you've found the best triple X show ever. Let's get back to the most homoerotic host out there today, Craig Rimpy. All right, all caught up on the reads there, so we will work to get out. Uh, if I am doing the lightning round myself on a couple of those, uh, if I was still drinking, and while I am a diehard old-fashioned fan, I found myself falling in love hard with Sazerac, Sweet Baby Ray's over Open Pit. I mean, Pat, I mean, what are you talking about? Open Pit? I think Open Pit will stain your teeth orange. Uh, that must be a New York thing. Um, definitely never beer can chicken, only spatchcock for me. And 25-year-old Pappy Van Winkle, while I've never had it, uh, could never change my life, could only change my bank. I think they had 25-year-old Pappy at Society Lounge uh, just across the street from Mabel's Barbecue in downtown Cleveland on East 4th Street, and it was 
selling for three hundred and fifty bucks an ounce. An ounce? Get that big stuff out of here! No way, sir. That's a lot of cake. All right, all the way back in the first hour, Hall of Famer from the barbecue scene, Doctor Barbecue from Doctor Barbecue's restaurant. Heading into the third week, things are going very well for him. So happy to hear that. Uh, then we, then we had a in-depth conversation with Mike McLeod about the World Food Championships. We did not. But to make up for it, we had two segments with America's Butcher and Meat Master Pat Lafrida, who killed it. We talked about his most popular cuts from a business standpoint to what he thinks might be the best up-and-coming economical cut. We talked about is tomahawk steak a gimmick or not. Then we really got into dry aging. And he suffered through the lightning round with me, which is something that I might start instituting with all my guests. We'll see about that. Big show planned for you next week, as always, September 11th, 2001. I will never forget. Until next Tuesday at 9 p.m. Eastern, this is your program host and proud U.S. American, Greg Reppy. Good night now.